You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. This spring we're doing another aspect of spiritual formation, and the series is called Following Jesus. And several weeks ago when Adam Russell was here, I had asked him to speak to that as well. And if you haven't heard that message, it's really one of the best messages we've heard here or anywhere in a long, long time. You should really get online and listen to it. But um, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, plenty of people identify as Christians, but are they really following Jesus? That's the question. And we're going to cover this over the next number of weeks, but what does the Bible say about making Jesus foremost in our lives? How do the stories of Jesus affect our lives and the lives of those around us? Why should we follow him? And what happens when you do? And one of the things I have recognized is following him is the key to the transformed life that so many of us are, are interested in. Um, I also know this, there are not many better ways to understand what it means to follow him than through the um, means of a story. And particularly the one I want to look at today is uh, I want us to look through the lens of the life of that Galilean fisherman named Simon Barjona, and we usually know him as Peter or Simon Peter. Actually, Peter's name appears in the Gospels over 190 times, but in those same Gospels, Jesus only used Peter's name a handful of times, maybe only four or five. And a number of years I had, I felt like it was the Lord, gave me, um, I had a thought, and this was the thought, look up in a red letter concordance, the name Peter, and see how many times it shows up in the, New Te- in the, in the Gospels. And it really only showed up three times. Now, being red letter, it meant Jesus said it. So Jesus said or called Simon Barjona Peter only a very few times according to what we have recorded in the Gospels. And here is the question we should all ask, why? Well, each time Jesus used the name Peter, Jesus was helping him discover his own unique personal identity. And that's what happens when we follow Jesus. We not only discover him, but we discover us. Actually, until you discover him, you won't really discover, uh, well, us, yourself. We learn um, in profound and transforming ways who Jesus is, and result, we discover who we are. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. Um, one of the verses in Hosea that really um, spoke to me, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, if you want to look it up, we don't have it overhead. We have some other verses for later, but it says this, then shall we know. Say that with me. Then shall we know. 
if we follow on to know the Lord. Then shall we know if we follow on. So many people have begun a good race, but they haven't endured and they haven't maintained um, sufficient commitment or devotion or time in following Jesus. And one of the reasons is we don't know him that well. If we knew Jesus as he really is, following him would be no question at all for any of us because he's that remarkable. I mean, they called him the friend of sinners. It's just just, the story of Jesus is I've never been able to get by it and um, scarcely been able to understand it. So that's after all these years. But the first time that um, I believe Jesus used the name Peter, we find in John 1, 40 through 42, and I believe we have that. Is that overhead? Good, that was not rhetorical. I do appreciate the response there. John 1, verse 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic form of the Greek form of the word Peter. So technically, Jesus said Peter, but it showed up as as Cephas. We also know from Matthew 4, 18 and 19 that Jesus said in this same context, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And so those two words Jesus used, follow me, inaugurated Peter's pursuit of this relationship with Jesus. Um, two of the phrases that really spoke to me in, in this, in these verses, in Jesus' initial meeting with Simon was this, you are and you shall be. That's what Jesus says to Peter. He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be. And then he says, called Peter. Then he says, in addition to that, follow me, follow me, and I shall make you. So following Jesus gives us this distinct hope. Who we may be today is not who we can become. I've thought through some of this over the years. There's a person that you think you are. That's a combination of your imagination, what people have told you, and how people have responded to you. Then there's the person you've demonstrated that you are by your behavior. Isn't that encouraging? Then there's the person you really are. That's who Jesus began revealing to Simon Barjona that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. What was Jesus doing this first time he called Simon Barjona Peter? Here's what I believe Jesus was saying to him. I believe he was saying this, I know who you are, but you don't. 
I know who you are, but you don't. Once again, those phrases, you are, you shall be, follow, and I shall make. So Jesus committed himself to helping Peter reach his full potential. What was Peter's part to follow Jesus? And we're going to say those words over and over and over about following Jesus. But I know this, the battle over over our identity is the battle over our destiny. If you don't know who you are, you probably won't fulfill your destiny, or at the very least, it will be much harder to do. In Matthew 16, we find another time Jesus used the name Peter. And um, do, do you mind if I make you think a little bit this morning? I know that's not fun to do, but um, so let's read this. Verse 13. Is that overhead? I'm going to get a rearview mirror. I don't know why I have to keep asking, but I just like to know. It's because you can read it as I do. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then look at verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, I contrast that with Peter saying, you are the Christ. Jesus comes back and says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. You see, what we have here is, by revelation, Peter discovers who Jesus really is. And Jesus makes this unusual response. He says, and I also tell you who you are. You know who I am. Now I can begin to reveal to you, Peter, who you are. And this is what that process is. You knowing me and you knowing who you are, it is the rock I will build my church on which the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I know Roman Catholics, and I'm not opposed to it. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Roman Catholics say the rock that the church is built on is the Apostle Peter. Protestants, basically evangelicals, say, well, the rock that the church is built on is the revelation of who Jesus is. But I believe it's more than that. It's the revelation of who Jesus is and you knowing who you are. Because the characteristics of fulfilling what Jesus said is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against that kind of church. What kind of church? 
the kind of church that knows who Jesus is. How many of you people know, people who know who Jesus is, and the gates of hell? Well, what do you mean the gates of hell or the gates of Hades? Gates are access points, entrance ways. And when you know who you are and you know who he is, you begin to shut off entrance ways of evil or the devil or any of that kind of stuff from overtaking your life. It will not prevail against you. But if you don't know who you are and who he is, you still get your brain speed out. Who knows what I'm telling? Telling the truth. When Peter said, you're the Christ, then Jesus said, well, and I also say to you, you're Peter. Until you can tell Jesus who he is, he can't tell you who you are. Now, that's a bold statement. I know it is. I'd like to say it again. Until you can tell Jesus who he is, he can't tell you who you are. Because it's that central to the development of real, true human flourishing in conjunction, in connection with the plan and purpose of God all over the world. He needs to hold the proper place in our heart, in our understanding, or we will not really know who we are. When you know who Jesus is, and when you know who he's told you you are, you gain authority in life over things that have had authority in your life. And I talked about that. I could go back through it. But here's the point. We need to follow Jesus because as we do, we find out who he is and we find out through all kinds of situations who we are. How many of you, after meeting the Lord, have made pretty horrifying discoveries about yourself? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? I've heard the closer you get to Jesus, the worse things get when it comes to who you are sometimes. Uh, but that's pretty negative. So let me skip over to when Jesus tells Peter his whole life's going to fall apart. But listen, if we can get this right, we will be overcoming those things that once overcame us. Now, the next time, Jesus uses the name Peter, we find in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Simon, Simon, I would be very concerned about that. And Jesus doesn't comfort him that much. He says, but I have prayed for you. I'm thinking, pray for me. <laughs> Keep him away from me. But he says, but I have prayed for you that what should happen? That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, if you follow Jesus long enough, you're probably going to have some conversations with him like this one. But Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Let me repeat Peter's response. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you who? 
Peter. I tell you, Peter. He went from Simon, Simon to Peter. The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, here was the outcome. Jesus got it right and Peter got it wrong. Jesus got it right. Peter got it wrong. Peter said he would never deny the Lord, but was willing to die for him. Jesus said, well, no, actually within 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times. We could say this was the worst, one of the worst days of Peter's life. How many would agree with me? Peter gave up everything, his business, his normal life, took off after Jesus, saw amazing things, was devoted to him. And then Jesus tells Peter something like this, and then it happened. So on the worst day of his life, the day he would deny the Lord, the day Simon would question his calling, his devotion to Jesus, on that day, even in the midst of Jesus' warning of his impending failure, Jesus was reminding Simon Bar-Jonah of who he was. You are Peter. I think that's remarkable. Even in the midst of the warning, Jesus would remind Peter that no matter what happened, he meant more to Jesus than he could ever, ever imagine. He didn't want Peter to ever forget the things Jesus had said to him, even when he didn't live up to it. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who I told you that you are, come what may. Now, when you look at what happened, Peter's denial, Peter's failure in his life was a necessary failure. What? It was a necessary failure to put to death a part of him that would keep him from fulfilling his calling. That was his arrogance. The arrogance that often motivated Peter's life. The wheat had to be separated from the chaff. And Jesus used the devil to do it. I, I hate that thought. I don't even know what to think about that. But even though Satan sifted Peter, Jesus still prevailed in his life. He went into that season as Simon, got sifted, failed, but ultimately when he came out, he came out as this new person. You, you know, we sang this morning, you make all things new. Well, that's true, but sometimes we don't like to process. Sometimes what we hope is automatic is not automatic at all. It comes through process. And it's not that Jesus wanted Peter to suffer. But that, that arrogance that he had had to be dealt with or Peter would never have become that, that prolific, amazing, spiritual giant whose writings we read to this day, whose actions in Christian history are, are amazing. But he went into that season as one person, and he came out of that season as a different person. Through that terribly difficult trial, Jesus forged 
true humility in Peter's life. And that's remarkable. There's nothing that happens in our lives that God can't use redemptively. Even when he didn't intend for it to happen, he can still use it redemptively if we will continue following Jesus, if we will continue listening to what he has to say to us. Have you ever been sifted? What did you learn about yourself? Did you come out of it wounded or wiser? Or you could have come out both. Converted or cynical? Mad or made into the person Jesus called you to be? Less critical of others? More pliable and willing to change? All of those things can happen. You can go either way. You can become bitter or you can become better. I think we've heard that before. Now, there was another time, and we find this in Mark 16, 6 through 8. Actually, an angel says this, not Jesus himself, but I believe the angel said it as directed by the Lord. But in Mark 16, verse 6, this was after Jesus Peter's denial. But he, that was an angel, directed by Jesus, said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, verse 7, But go tell his disciples and who? And Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in the Galilee. Here you will see him as he said to you. But go tell the disciples Jesus is alive and be sure to tell Peter too. The phrase, and Peter, only appears in Mark's gospel. And if you know the uh, history of Mark, who was John Mark and Peter, John Mark was a spiritual son, not a natural son, but was a spiritual son of Peter. And when you read the gospel of Mark, you're actually reading Peter's gospel. It's Peter's gospel through Peter's own uh, history and understanding and knowledge of Jesus. And so Peter wanted the world to know that Jesus never counted him out. Go tell my disciples and the one that denied me. Go tell my disciples and Peter. That phrase, and Peter, may have been the only ray of hope Simon Barjona had at that particular moment. Oh, he wants me to know. That phrase, and Peter, dispelled Simon's wondering if he was finished as an apostle. And Peter, that phrase also alerted the rest of the leaders that Jesus wasn't finished with Simon yet. How many of you have messed up so bad everybody counted you out? Well, everybody didn't. Jesus didn't. Sometimes you can't become who you call to be until you mess up enough to recognize you really don't know what you're doing. Please don't dance in the aisles over that. But it really is true. But Jesus never gives up on us. I want to close um, by taking a look at John 21. And John chapter 21, many believe, is a chapter that the Apostle John 
added to his gospel after he originally wrote it. And the, the setting in John 21 is after the resurrection, Jesus had made several appearances, but Peter had never been restored. Jesus and Peter had never talked through the denial episode in Peter's life. And so Peter decides he's going fishing again. Now, it's questionable. Peter could have actually decided he was leaving being an apostle and going back to what he knew, which was fishing. He could have been saying that. And he was um, convincing. Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John went with him. So they were down by the Sea of Galilee, and they were fishing, and um, they didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything. That morning, Jesus was standing on the shore, but they didn't quite yet know it was Jesus. And Jesus calls to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. In other words, have you got anything? And then Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. How many of you register how familiar this episode was in the life of Simon Barjona? So when they cast the net, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And so what I want you to see is, Jesus was going out of his way to set Peter up for a full restoration. The first time Jesus ever said to Peter, follow me, it was immediately after Peter had been fishing all night. He was washing his nets, and Jesus convinced him to go back out and cast him again. And when he did, they had a catch of fish so large two boats could could barely bring it in. And then Peter goes through this life of following Jesus. And then Peter falls flat on his face. And then Peter doesn't quite know how Jesus is going to relate to him. And so Jesus, after the resurrection, shows up, and he sets this stage all over again. There they are fishing. Jesus calls out to them, have you got any fish? They say they don't have any. Jesus tells them, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and they catch, I don't know, 138 153 fish, so many that they were amazed that the net didn't break. And then Jesus says, hey, why don't you come over here and eat breakfast? Now, the wonderful thing was Jesus hadn't been fishing, but he already had fish. Now, how did he do that? I, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, he knew they weren't going to have any, so he brought some with him, I guess. But um, So they come in. Jesus has cooked for them. And we find in verse 10, verse 15 of chapter 21, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? wonder what he was asking, these what? Well, he could have been asking me, do you love me more than fishing? Or he could have been asking, do you love me more than these other apostles do? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me with a self-sacrificial love? 
more than these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you as a friend. Jesus is asking, do you love me at this level? And Peter is saying, yes, I love you, but I love you at this level. And so Jesus says, feed my lambs. Recommissions him. He hadn't made the grade yet, but recommissions him. And so Jesus says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me with a self-sacrificial love? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I have a fond affection for you. Still not the same level Jesus was asking about. So he says to him, tend my sheep, charges him again. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, are we really good friends? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that we're friends. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, here's what was going on. God will meet us right where we are. But sometimes we don't know where we are. Peter thought he was living in that high-level agape love zone of self-sacrificial, selfless love, when really he was living in this friendship love. So what was going on through this conversation? I believe this was going on. Jesus was saying, Simon, I just want you to be honest with me about where you are. Tell me where you are. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. How's that working for you? Did that work for you? No, didn't work for you. Here's what will work for you. You tell me where you are. That's where I'll meet you. That's where we'll start. That's how we started. Every time we go through another trial, that's where we'll start again, right where you are. Right where you are is where Jesus says, well, then let's start here. Whether you've known him 10 years, 10 minutes, 20 years, 20 minutes. He meets you where you are. Most assuredly, Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you walked where you wished, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, this he spoke signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this to him, Jesus said these two words, follow me. When Jesus called Philip, he said, follow me. When Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, he told him, follow me. When Peter found James and uh, when, when Jesus found Peter, James and John, his instruction was, follow me. 
And when Peter fell flat on his face and through that process was converted into living in reality, Jesus knew then he could feed people. And how was Peter restored? Jesus told him these two words, follow me, follow me. I believe that's what the Lord is talking to us about. I've got a friend, Steve Witt, and he witnesses to people, and he doesn't ask them if they're Christians anymore because everybody's a Christian almost. But he asks them this question. Well, obviously that's not true, but in the South, you know what I'm saying? But he asks them this question instead. He says, are you a Jesus follower? Are you a Jesus follower? That's the question today. Are you a Jesus follower? I love Peter. I love the fact that this is not the only time he's going to fall flat on his face if you read the Gospels. This is not the only time he's going to mess up. But Jesus always found him. Jesus always said to him, follow me. He'll take us where we are. That's where we'll start. Jesus meets us there and he says to us these two words, follow me. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 